Good morning, Grace. How are you? Good? Anybody have the Easter hangover? Is it just me? Just me. Okay, cool. <clears throat> I'm in like coffee, chocolate hangover. All right. I've started poorly. Here we go. Hey, uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Acts chapter 1? After over a year in the Gospel of Mark, we're transitioning to the book of Acts. Uh, and we're excited about what this series is going to uh, hopefully do in the life of our church. Uh, don't hold this against me, but I am not native to California or San Diego. Uh, I actually grew up in a uh, small state called Texas. Anybody? Yeah. A little joke, a little joke to recover from the earlier joke. Uh, <clears throat> and so growing up in Texas, every summer, uh, our family would host a family reunion at my Uncle Bernie's house in Austin. Uh, if you're old enough to remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's, it's like that, but he's not He's alive and well and all is good. And so we would go every summer. And uh, one summer, probably 10 years ago, uh, it was before our oldest daughter was born, I, I believe. Uh, we, went and we went to church uh, on the Sunday of the uh, family reunion and went to a church in Austin. And I, I remember going in and they were preaching a sermon series on the resurrection of Christ. And it surprised me because it was like the middle of July and they were preaching on the resurrection. I was like, well, that's for Easter. I don't know if you guys have heard the news, but that's just an Easter sermon. Uh, but they were teaching this series. And I have, uh, I'll confess to you, I've heard a lot of sermons in my life. I have forgotten a lot of sermons in my life. Uh, and so have you, right? You hear me and you're like, I don't know what you talked about three weeks ago. That's normal. Ten years ago, I heard a sermon, and uh, I, I don't think I'll ever forget this, this portion where the preacher was talking about growing up and his mom battled cancer. And it was a rough battle, and the medication was hard, and she would be in the bathroom, uh, you know, in, in the middle of the night, throwing up, struggling with, with what was going on. And, and, and he would tell the story that his dad would sit on the bathroom floor with his mom in the middle of the night while she was struggling and suffering through uh, all of the, the cancer troubles. And, uh, and eventually, he, he saw this over and over again. Eventually, he asked his dad, like, Dad, how do you do it? Like, how do you have the strength to to stay with mom and to endure and to do all the, the things you have to do to be alongside mom in this, in this time of suffering. And his dad responded, um, it's the power of the resurrection. That's how I do it. And I, I remember thinking, um, man, we do not talk about that very much as believers. Like Easter is kind of the moment where you talk about the resurrection and then you graduate from that and move on to the other things. And so our, our hope for the book of Acts is to actually spend a, a long season like sitting in the truth that the resurrection is not the end of the story, it's the beginning of the story. It starts something that we hope uh, what happens to them happens to us. And so if you were to ask, why are we teaching through the book of Acts? It, my hope uh, is that what the early church experienced, we start to experience. In my first sermon at Grace Church, I said, what if the future of the church looked like the past? And I wasn't talking about some golden era of the church. I was talking about the first 30 years of the church. Like, what if it looked like what they experienced as the early church we got to experience? Because the same spirit that they have is the same spirit we have. And so that leads us to the gospel, not the gospel, the book of Acts following the gospel of Mark. A uh, brief uh, introduction to the book, and then we'll, we'll dive in together. So the book of Acts was written in A.D. 62, and it was uh, a part of a two-part book series uh, called The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. So the author is a doctor named Luke, and he is brilliant. Uh, we know he is brilliant because some of the most beautiful, eloquent Greek language in the New Testament is from Luke and Acts. He is smart, 
Uh, he, he is educated. He is brilliant. And, and some scholars say he was a skeptic when he started this journey of investigating Jesus, that he wasn't a full-on believer yet. He was just doing the work of investigation, trying to figure out who Jesus was. And then ultimately, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And we read in 2 Timothy that the Apostle Paul is in jail with Luke, suffering for the gospel. And Paul says, everyone has deserted me except for the beloved Luke. And so Luke goes from skeptic to believer, writes the gospel of Luke and uh, the book of Acts. He travels with Paul on missionary journeys, uh, which I just think is fascinating that Paul was so often, as a church planner, Paul was so often beat up and hurt and thrown in jail that he needed a doctor on his church planting core team. So um, if any of you want to be missionaries or church planners, like the first guy you need is a doctor because you get beat up so much you need this dude on a retainer. Like just, you just got to travel with me, bro, because I just, this happens all the time. So that to me is crazy, pretty wild. And so that's who wrote the book. That's where it comes from. And those are some of our hopes as we head into this. Uh, so let's, let's dive in. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In my former book, what's the former book? The Gospel of Luke. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And so right away, Luke is combining his two works, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, by saying there's a connection here. And here's the connection. That the design of this was that Jesus was going to finish a work so that there could be an ongoing work. There is a finished work and an ongoing work. Uh, Luke says, I'm writing to you about what Jesus began to do and teach. Like there's been something that's finished and then there's some ongoing nature to this. And so this begs the question, what was finished? Because simultaneously Jesus finished something and launched something. Well, what is finished? Well, by way of reminder, we spent a long time in this, but what was finished for us is the achievement of the gospel, that, that Mark told us this over and over every week, that Christ has achieved something. He is the rightful king of the world. You and God are not on good terms because you have rebelled against God in your sin, but Christ is the perfect sacrifice who is going to fix everything that stands between you and God. This is why Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. What is finished? The work of salvation. The work of reconciliation between you and God. Everything that was necessary for you to stand before God as righteous and pure and holy and undefiled and unhindered intimacy. Everything that was necessary was achieved in Christ, was conquered in Christ, was finished in Christ. Now the finished work of Christ, according to Luke, is then leading to the ongoing work of Christ. And so to, to give it to us in a sentence, what was finished for us? It's this. Jesus satisfied divine wrath and reconciled us to God. That's what's finished. There's no longer, uh, you're no longer an enemy of God. You no longer sin under the wrath of God. You're no longer being in a, in a place of punishment with God. It has fully been satisfied by Christ in the cross. The veil in the temple which separated you from God has been torn on Good Friday. You can walk into a full reconciled relationship with God. It is completely finished. It's done. Jesus did that work so that it would be possible to start this ongoing work. But this is the, the first piece of tension for us. So here, here's the, the point, and then we'll talk about the tension. So Luke is trying to say something to us, that it's only from the finished work of Jesus that we do the ongoing work of Jesus. 
this, this is important. It's only from the finished work that we do the ongoing work. The ministry of Christ did not end in the resurrection. There's ongoing work to do. But something was finished there that we have to remember as we do the ongoing work. And why is he doing this? Because it's so easy to forget. There is a real temptation to say, I'm just going to move on and do the ongoing work of Christ without recognizing this whole thing was done by Christ for me. And so there is a temptation for us to think, uh, we, we need to build the church. We need to advance the kingdom. We need to go forward in mission. You're like, hang on, that, that, that's already been done in Christ and promised by Christ. Jesus himself said, I will build my church. This is what he tells Peter in the great exchange they have. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, lift the son of man high and he will draw all people to himself. Jesus says, I will do that. There's a place in the book of Acts that's coming where Jesus tells Paul to go to this one location. And he says, go there, Paul, and you will find that my people are there. And Paul's like, how are your people there? Like no missionaries have gone there before. And Jesus is like, my people are there. Don't worry. Like I'm going before you. I am doing the work. He is the one responsible. And so, yes, we have a part to play in the ongoing work, but Christ is still the primary driver of this, and it's connected. And, and, and I think it's a good reminder for us because there's times even in church where you're like, man, you could forget Christ completely. You could move on from the gospel. You could move on to other things. And this, this right away in the book of Acts, it's like you don't get to move on without this ongoing reminder of the finished work of Christ being what drives the future mission. So it's only from the finished work we move on. Now this, this is uh, in verse 4. Let's keep going. On one occasion, he was eating with them. This is Jesus. And he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now think of this as like the calm before the storm. He's got the disciples together. This whole thing's about to launch and start moving really quickly. But he gathers them, and he's, he's giving them some instructions, some foundational truths before this whole thing takes off. And, and so this is what's about to be launched in the world. Think of it like this. The Old Testament, where God the Father is predominant in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, God the Son is predominant in the Gospels. Jesus is about to launch the Spirit Age, where the book of Acts until today, where God the Spirit is predominant. He's about to launch that into the world, and he's telling them, this is how important it is, guys. Jesus says, I know you spent three years with me. I know you've seen me teach. I know you've walked with me. I know you had your mission trips where I kind of gave you some power. I know you've seen all of that, and I know you're motivated. I know that I've risen from the dead, and you want to go tell the world about me because this is the greatest event in human history. But listen, don't, don't leave yet. If you leave without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to ruin this whole thing. You're going to wreck the whole thing. Everything we've been working on is going to be destroyed. Don't leave until you get the gift of the Spirit. So this, this is our second point. If, if we do the ongoing work of Jesus from the finished work of Jesus, then the second point is this. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we do the ongoing work of Jesus. He is so clear with his disciples that they can't go without the Spirit. And Jesus believes something towards his disciples that you and I probably in the real world don't believe. Here, here's what I mean. In the real world, I've heard this said many times, you've probably said it yourself. You think, man, how awesome would it have been to have like actually seen Jesus do miracles? 
You think that. Like, man, it would not be hard to believe if I lived in AD 30 in Jerusalem and I got to see Jesus and meet Jesus. It'd be so much easier to follow Christ if I had just seen him, seen a miracle. Like, that's how we operate. Like, you watch The Chosen and you're like, oh, they're so lucky. They got to, like, be with Jesus. I wish I had that. That is not what Christ believed. Christ himself believed that it was better for you to have the Spirit of God inside of you than to have him beside you. That's what Christ believed. That my Father is going to give you a gift and it's going to blow your mind. The treasure of this gift cannot be put into words. That God's presence is no longer in the temple. God's presence is no longer in the tabernacle. God's presence is no longer a cloud by day and a fire by night. God's presence now dwells in your heart. Your heart is the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus believed that the Spirit of God inside of you was better than him right beside you. But we have to believe this. It's hard for us to believe this. Uh, Talking about the Holy Spirit gets interesting. One theologian named Dale Bruner, he says the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. The shy member. Like doesn't draw attention to himself, but rather puts attention on Jesus, puts attention on God the Father, always giving glory to one of the others. And yet that's, that's often like when we think of the Holy Spirit, we're like, he's not the shy one. He's like the weird one, right? Like every time the Holy Spirit shows up, like weird stuff starts happening in the church. And so we almost kind of get away from that. You're like, especially if you grew up in a conservative background, you don't even allow the Spirit to be a part of the Trinity. The joke is like the, the conservatives are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? Like... The spirit, man, he's crazy. He's not shy. He's a little weird. Like, I don't know about him. I don't know about him. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a whole book called Forgotten God, talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we need to do some work in recognizing this. Because here's, here's what's happened, because all that's true. Um, each generation has been asked by Jesus to be empowered by the Spirit and then to witness to their generation for the glory of God and the mission of God. That's, that's what's the ask on all of us. And we live in a world that that same ask is on us, but there are some changes happening in our world. There's some changes all around us. We are in a unique cultural moment in America, a unique cultural moment in the West. And here, here's what I mean. It, it feels pretty clear today that previous generations grew up in America where Christianity was the majority mindset. It's called modernity, where you grew up in like church was the major mindset. Cities were built around a church, would be put in, a, in the center of a city. That was normative. But nowadays, it feels like Christianity is the minority mindset. So I'm just going to share some statistics. And this is, uh, I tell my staff, don't bring your feelings to a data conversation, okay? This is just data. Everybody relax. Calm down. Just data. Statistically, people are less interested in church. Statistically. Statistically, When people fill out forms, they are no longer putting Christians on the forms. It's been called the rise of the nuns. And I don't mean nun like ladies wearing, you know, Sister Act 2 kind of stuff, which is an amazing movie, by the way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, it's one of the rare movies where the sequel is better than the original, Sister Act 2. That's not in my notes. Okay, oh. What was I talking about? Okay, the rise of the nuns. People that are filling out these forms, putting, they have no religious affiliation. Statistically, that is rising. Then you add on top of that a world where everything is public, everything is on the internet, and there are people who claim to follow Jesus and they're making mistakes in the world. And, and so now you're, you're walking in a world where it almost doesn't feel like you want to tell the people you work with that you're a Christian. 
Like it doesn't feel like that's a value add in the world. And so there are some places where the church has responded to all this of like the Holy Spirit's kind of weird and the world's changing a little bit. So the church's response to all this is we're going to come up with the best man-made strategies to make the church look cool. Which, by the way, the church could, yeah, it's fine. Like, marketing is good. Graphic design is good. There's moments where churches have bad graphic design, and I'm like, that is not okay. We serve a resurrected Lord. We need better graphics. Like, like that's a real burden, I feel. We need God raise up a generation of graphic designers for your glory in the church, right? Like, because you'll see a flyer, and you're like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Hindering the mission here. Uh, but that, that's, that's in front of us. We're going to make the church cool. We're going to give tips and tricks and how-tos, and we're going to make the church cool. And it's a temptation that we face because of this stuff. It's a temptation you face in your own life, where you have stuff going wrong in your life, something you can't fix, something you can't figure out how to get over, some hurdle. Your, your default setting is go read a self-help book about this, work on my habits, figure this thing out. Which again, none of that's bad. Something's going wrong in your marriage. Your default setting is counseling. Glorious, great. I go there. It's awesome. But but our default is like, is there a man-made way to fix this? Can we get smart enough to be strategic enough to be wise enough? Like whatever. Like, can we fix this with what we have to offer? And so I share all of that to say, the trouble is our default is not lean into the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to do something supernaturally that I don't have the power to do. Pray about this, fast about this, call other people to join in and praying about this because truthfully what the world needs isn't great marketing and great make the church cool, which is not bad, but what the world most needs is believers in Christ walking in the day-to-day, Monday through Saturday, in the power of the Holy Spirit in every nook and cranny in society. The followers of Jesus would be empowered by the Spirit as they go into being a school teacher. And they walk in the power of the Spirit. And, and as doctors, they go into the hospitals walking in the power of the Spirit. Because you know how God wants to reach doctors in San Diego? Through doctors walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's people in the military that walk in the power of the Spirit. There's people on the college campus that, yes, they're working on their education. They're trying to get better. But they walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that makes them capable of making a difference in the world. And so my fear is we're not leveraging the spirit as the gift it is to us. We, we don't treasure it like we should. We don't ask the spirit to move because in the, the achievement of Jesus was gifted to us. And then the power of the Holy Spirit has been gifted to us. And these are among the greatest gifts God the Father has given to his church. We should treasure them. We should maximize them. We should leverage them and walk in wisdom and power because of them, not because of who we are. So make our default, Holy Spirit, can you help me in this space? It's, it's hard. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, some scholars say, is like the New Testament's version of Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, Moses and God are having a conversation, and God tells Moses, hey, Moses, you take the people of Israel, you guys go into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you because you're sinful and you're broken. And it's almost like this. God says, hey, Moses, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you my power. I'll give you the promises, but you can't have my presence. And Moses looks at God and says, no deal. That's not what I want. 
And Moses responds to God and says, if your presence does not go with us, we don't want to go. Do not send us if you're not going to be the one coming with us, because we're not in this for your goodies. We're not in this for the milk and honey. We're not in this for some power within ourselves. We're in this for you and your presence. That is the echo of Acts chapter one, where Jesus is like, you're going to go. There's this ongoing mission in front of you because of what I finished for you, but you will not get to go without the spirit. The presence of God has to be the fuel by which you do the ongoing work in front of you. You don't get to go without the spirit. It has to be a part of the journey. But again, I don't know if that's how we live in the church today. Uh, Pastor David Platt says, the greatest hindrance in the church today may be the people of God attempting to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. The people of God attempting to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God is the greatest hindrance in the church today. That there's man-made hopes without supernatural power. It's a temptation. It's a temptation in me. It's a temptation in you. And here comes Jesus in Acts 1 saying, don't you dare try to do this without the Spirit. I'm not even going to allow it, actually. You don't get to go. Don't do it without the Spirit. So Grace Church, we should not settle for lives that are spiritless. We should not settle for a church that's spiritless. We should not settle for marriages that are spiritless, for relationships that are spiritless. It's, It's not the design. <clears throat> it's not what Christ wants. Verse six, they says, says this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, <clears throat> Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. <clears throat> The, the picture here is that Christ is gifting them the Spirit, and there is an ask on their lives in connection with the gift of the Spirit. And so the, the promise of you're going to get this, and then you're going to go do that is connected. And there's, there's, a, there's a gift in connection to the, the work that, that I don't know if we feel this. So let me say it in a way that's going to make you uncomfortable. Um, makes me uncomfortable. The reason the Holy Spirit is given in Acts 1-8 is to provide the necessary power to live out the ask. That's why the Spirit is given. The Spirit is given in the original, I'm just reading this, like second grade reading level. I'm gonna give you the Spirit power and then you're gonna do this. The reason it is given is for the necessary power to do what's asked of them. Because, and here's the tension, Jesus expects a widening witness from his disciples. That they're going to do ongoing work. And this is not a hope. This is not Jesus crossing his fingers. This is not a moment where he's like, man, you know, I hope this goes well for you. No, this is by design, fully intentional. Jesus is handing the baton of the mission of God over to the disciples. And the entire task of the church is summed up in one sentence. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. That's the picture. You will receive power. Promise. You will be my witnesses. Declaration. That's what is going to happen. I remember uh, a singer-songwriter named Rich Mullins, who I love listening to in college. He, he said, the scary thing about God is that God doesn't have a plan B. He's got a plan A. Send Christ to the cross to finish the work. Send the church to the world to do the ongoing work. That is the 
picture. And so <clears throat> the implication of that is that Christ is completely comfortable with sending the church empowered by the Spirit into the world to continue the mission of God. And, and what that means is the lostness of San Diego is a disciple's problem. The lostness of San Diego is a local church problem. And Jesus is totally okay with that being our problem because he's given us what we need to make this thing possible. He's, he's offered this to us. And yes, these guys had spent three years with him. They'd walked with him. They knew what he was about. They knew what he had done, but he gives this over to them and he tells them, you're going to need, thank you. That's my wife. Bring me water. <clears throat> You're going to need help, church. You're going to need help. <laughs> it, it really does baffle me that Christ has no problem just handing this over to the disciples. It, it baffles me <clears throat> that they're going to get the spirit and they're just going to do it. And, and I know that we talk about witnessing sometimes and we get afraid of like, I don't witness, I don't, I don't like sharing the gospel. That's for other people. Like, I don't need to do that. And, and the truth is many of us in this room, like we haven't shared the gospel. Like we don't even know the last time we shared the gospel. And even me bringing this up, like makes you uncomfortable. Cause you're like, is that my thing? Like, no, you know what I like to do, Josh? I like to like share the gospel and use words if necessary, right? That's the St. Francis of Assisi quote, which is a great quote. The problem is St. Francis was a preacher. Like he's just referencing that gospel proclamation should be in connection with gospel demonstration. That's all he's saying. But gospel demonstration without gospel proclamation makes no sense to Jesus, the early church, or St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, feed the hungry, if necessary, use food. <laughs> what? 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 Like clothe the naked, if necessary, use clothes. What? Like What? Yeah, there, there, there is a necessary witness that has to happen, which means you and I speaking the gospel. But I, I know that can feel scary, that can feel hard, and that's difficult. Uh, but what if we framed it like this? Um, you and I often talk about what we love. You, 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 you witness all the time about what you love. Um, I love the movie Peanut Butter Falcon. And so, yeah, a few of you have seen, it's kind of, it's kind of under the radar, but just me saying and sharing with you my love for this movie, some of you are going to go and watch Peanut Butter Falcon this afternoon and you're going to weep and you're going to be like, Josh warned me. He told me that it was good. And then you watch it and you love it and you're moved. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to post on social media. You're going to text your friends. Guys, have you seen Peanut Butter Falcon? This movie is crazy. It's so beautiful. It's so compelling. It's so awesome, right? You do that. You talk about what you love. You do. In between services, what was I talking about with some people? The Golden State Warriors and how they lost, and now I'm mad about it. Why? Because I talk about what I love. I love the Warriors. Clay Thompson went to WSU, where I served for many years. So I love them. You talk about what you love. Here's the tension. Why, why is it that talking about loving Jesus is so hard for us? Why is it so rare for us that they're talking about loving Jesus? Because <clears throat> I wonder if we grew up in a world that, that said only the called people talk about Jesus all the time, only the special Christians, or only those who like go on mission trips, like they talk about Jesus. And so Acts chapter one, verse eight has been relegated to mission trips of like here, or Matthew 28, go ye therefore, preach the gospel to all nations, um, go to Guatemala for six days, preaching the gospel to all nations, baptizing them. Uh, Acts 1, eight, you will be my witnesses this summer in Thailand for nine days. 
When you go to Thailand, which, by the way, us going to the nations for short-term trips is immensely important. It's a part of the design. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, it's a part of the design. But the ongoing witness is, the, is, is just as important, that we would be connected right where we are. And so here's, here's the last point. I've worked on this sentence so many ways. I don't think it's perfect, but this is my way of trying to communicate what I, I think the Holy Spirit's doing here. That the disciples' participation in the ongoing work of Jesus, it's, it's not a calling. It's not even a command. It's just the declaration over their lives. Read the text. You're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. It's just what's going to happen. Because you've been so moved by the finished work of Christ, and you've been so empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you talking about what you love in the world is just going to be normative. It's just going to birth earth out of you, bubble up out of you. It's just going to be normative. It's just going to be what happens. And Jesus is so clear. He's like reproduction in the life of the disciple is just what's going to happen. So it's going to start in Jerusalem, but reproduction is going to happen to Judea, reproduction to Samaria. And then ultimately this whole thing is going to go everywhere. And you and I sit in this room having access to the gospel because these men and women honored this declaration over their lives. They honored it in their generation. And then the spirit carried it on to the next generation. And now Grace Church, it's just our turn. It's just our turn. Same spirit, same declaration, same mission. It's just our turn. And so let's, let's talk about the Holy Spirit for just a moment, and then we'll land uh, as we close. So here's what the Spirit is doing. There's multiple things the Spirit does, but I want to get us to get some clarity on this so we can walk in this. And uh, they all three start with the letter S. So that's some alliteration for you people that like that kind of thing. It's not typically my jam, but today it works. So we're going for it. Three letter S's. So... The Holy Spirit is the God who does these things. Number one, he awakens your heart to believe Jesus is Lord, salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit did. Now, we have a role to play. Someone had to proclaim that to you. Someone had to communicate to you. But the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians, removes the veil over your heart and awakens you to believe that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. He's the king of the world. He's right about everything. It awakens that, so you're saved. Then the next thing the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer is reveals places in your life where Jesus is not Lord. Places where it looks like Christ isn't reigning over this area. So this is the fancy word, sanctification. The ongoing journey to become like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. I wanted to write, stop sinning in that part. <laughs> Instead, I wrote sanctification. But the Holy Spirit's job is to actively pursue us and move us away from sin and towards Christ, moving us towards holiness. That is one of the things he does. My fear is that because we don't talk about the Spirit a lot, we have grown numb to his voice. We have grown numb to his promptings. We have grown numb to his offer to walk away from things. And we kind of go, no, you know, I'm going to be stuck in this forever. And I just, I need some new tricks and new tips. And, and we've, grown, we've grown numb to the opportunity of the Spirit to sanctify us. So the Spirit awakens our heart to believe, salvation. The Spirit places in our lives where Jesus is not Lord, sanctifies us. And then lastly, the Spirit empowers you to live out incarnational mission, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, living sent. So, so what we're saying here is that you were not saved to be beamed up to heaven right, right, right when you get saved. You weren't saved 
so that you go to heaven when you die, but the moment of salvation until death basically looks like everybody else in the world with Christianity overlaid on top of it. The idea is that you were saved and you're in an ongoing process of being sanctified, but that sanctification happens while you actively participate in the mission of God in the world. Now again, I think so many times we have, been, we have relegated the mission of God to missionaries. We have relegated the mission of God to special Christians who work on a church staff. I do not see this in the book of Acts. It feels like everybody plays. It feels like everyone who's experienced the salvation of Christ is now a part of witnessing the, to the world about Christ. And so I... I'm, weary. I, I'm, I'm worried about challenging us, but, but the Bible challenges us here. The Bible doesn't say, hey, are you called to participate? The Bible doesn't even say, are you commanded to participate? The Bible says, Holy Spirit people participate. It's, it's who they are. It's their identity. It's their declaration. And so the question is, where does your heart burn to participate? Where do you want to see God's kingdom move forward by his spirit working? Where do you want to see it? Because you don't need permission. You have a declaration. This is who you are. This is what's available to you in Christ. And, and I, I think so many of us have, have played church and gone to church because we just don't know how to get in the game. We don't know how to participate in the mission of God. And so our jobs sometimes can feel meaningless or we have these moments in life where we're like, man, I'm just not getting what I need out of life. And I wonder if it's because we're not seeing the bigger picture of the Holy Spirit empowering us to bring the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves in the world. Josh, I sell cars for a living. That's okay. You can be a spirit-led car salesman who you can see that as a place you've been sent to. Every place of employment is not just where you get a paycheck. It's a place that God, by his spirit, sovereignly sent you. It starts to change the way you wake up in the morning when you go, today I'm being sent to the college campus. Today I'm being sent to the military. Today I'm being sent to be a stay-at-home mom and take care of these little kids who are sinners and desperately need Jesus in their life to (laughs) redeem their little hearts that are broken I'm being sent. I'm a sent one. I, I, th- I think that is what we have to recapture. The missionary nature of the church. The, the incarnational nature of sent ones. That we are all sent ones. Paul was a tent maker. We'll talk about that later in the book of Acts. And so in, in verse 10, the, the chapter, or this section closes down by saying, they, the disciples, They're intently looking up at the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go to heaven. So this is that picture of Christ will come again. He is completely comfortable leaving the mission of the church in the hands of Holy Spirit-filled disciples. Totally comfortable with that. By design, God's plan A Send Christ to the cross to finish the work of salvation. Send the church to the world, empowered by the Spirit, to spread the good news of salvation. Totally comfortable with that. But he will come back. He will come back again. Will we be found doing his work? Will we be people that say, we're not going to waste our lives, but we're going to participate. We're going to witness. We're going to fight sin. We're going to move forward. So I'm praying that this series would help us recapture 
the missionary nature of the church and the missionary nature of us as people who follow Jesus. I'm praying that God would call out of our church actual overseas, long-term missionaries that say, I'm going to leave my culture and my context to go and spread the gospel in a different culture and context. We're praying that that would happen too. But that is not special as much as it is normative in the life of spirit-filled people because we are sent ones. And my, my, the, the second part of that, which is actually fueling that, is that we would recapture being a people who live in step with the Spirit, who live empowered by the Spirit, who live informed by the Spirit, that our wisdom would grow because the Spirit is leading us, that our power would grow because the Spirit is leading us. I remember my church planting professor saying this, and I was like, wow, that's a crazy thought, that, that in, the, in discipleship, Jesus was looking for people he could trust with his power. I was like, whoa. He's looking for people that he can trust with his power. Because when Jesus had power, he used it to serve. He didn't use it to be on top. It was upside down. He used it to walk into the world and and be good news in a world of bad news, to be light in a place of darkness. He used his power in a way that the world did not make, it didn't make sense. And Christ is offering that to us, that we might be people that fight sin by the Spirit, that live on mission by the Spirit, that, that, that have the Spirit be our default when things aren't working well for us. But I recognize that may not be where we are. So we're going to journey together through the book of Acts, pleading with God to make us a people filled by the Spirit. And so in just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to sing. And we're actually going to have prayer partners up here in the front. We have them up here every week. And sometimes we have weeks where people come forward. Sometimes we don't. But the idea of the prayer partners is is for you to come forward and them to, to, to join with you in asking the Holy Spirit to move in a place in your life. So where, where is a place in your life where you need to move your default from all these worldly things that aren't bad, but you need to move your default to say, Holy Spirit, could you do this? I am stuck in this thing. I don't know how to be a witness at work. God, could you help me in that? God, I'm stuck in this place. Holy Spirit, would you move? And this morning, could we just have an exercise of inviting the Holy Spirit of God to do the heavy lifting? to do the movement because that's what's promised to us that Christ has finished the work totally done and now the power of the spirit has been gifted to us but many of us myself included we're not using it let's leverage the power of the spirit this morning inviting him to the places where we need help let's pray together Father thank you for your word that challenges us God, thank you for your word that tells us who we are, that declares over all the voices we hear in culture, all the voices we hear in the world, your word cuts through and declares, this is who you are. You are one that has been saved by the work of Christ. You are one that's been empowered by the Spirit, and now you're being sent in the world as a missionary as a witness to what you've experienced. God, make us people who talk about what we love. Make us people who share the good news around us because we love you. And make us people who invite your spirit into the places where we're stuck. God, I know across this room, we're all stuck somewhere. And so often we do not turn to you. We turn to other things. God, this morning we repent of turning to other things. 
and we turn to you and we say, Holy Spirit, would you make us more aware of your power? And would you do the heavy lifting this morning, Holy Spirit? Fill this place with your power, Father. We ask in Jesus' name.